I've always been intrigued by the stories of women who use the phrase, I just knew. You know, those women who can describe the where and the when, down to the weather, what they were wearing, maybe even the song on the radio, all like it happened just yesterday. The common element in each story is that at some point, intuition kicked in, and these women move forward through the beauty and battles of their lives, no longer looking to meet expectations, but instead in alignment with what was right for them in life, love, careers, relationships, and everything in between. My name is Kelly, and you're listening to The Moment She Knew Podcasts where guests share stories around their own moments of knowing. I wanted to start this podcast to create a space for mentorship and support for all of us as we move through the beauty and battles of our own lives. I believe that through storytelling, we create community and connection. And that is my vision for the Moment She Knew podcast and group. When you need support through your own moments, we will be here sending collective compassion, cheering you on, and most of all, helping you build trust in your own intuition to guide you without apology. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you will enjoy the podcast. And if you do, please like and subscribe and share it with your friends. On today's episode, we're speaking with Gina Morton, who is joining us from Pennsylvania in the United States. Her story will evolve around the moment she knew that the birth of her son, Teddy, was going to be the intense emotional journey God had told her she would endure years prior to Teddy's birth. Thank you for listening in. Let's get started. Welcome, Gina. We're so happy to have you here. And I know that you are calling us from beautiful Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I'm wondering if you and I were meeting today to have this conversation in person at a cafe, perhaps. Um, what is your favorite spot to meet up with a girlfriend and have a coffee chat where you live? Um, we've got some cute little mom and pop type of cafes that um, yeah. they let you sit for hours and hours and don't bother Love you. those, yeah. And when you go to the cafe, do you get a tea or a coffee or are you a water kind of gal? I am at home coffee. If I go out, it's something more fun, like cappuccino or a cafe latte. Oh, yeah, me too. I love my lattes. In fact, I I have one right now that I made, my pretend Starbucks here at home. But um, we'll just go ahead and get into it. I know that your story is going to touch a lot of hearts. And I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us and being vulnerable with us. I really believe that being vulnerable is actually a sign of strength. And I know that your story is going to give hope to a lot of people that they can move through difficult, heartbreaking things and come out okay and shiny and happy. So I'm so glad that you're here. So why don't we start with you telling us where you are right now in life? What does Gina's life today look like? So first, I want to say we don't live in Hershey. We live about an hour and a half from there. Okay. Um, my son was treated. Okay. Yeah. Um, we live in the Lehigh Valley. So we're about an hour west of New York City and about an hour north of Philadelphia. Wow. What a great spot to be in. It's like you're in the middle of the best of it's a Everything. little thing. Yeah, it's a little gem. And then we're about another hour from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is where the Amish live. And yeah. A whole, whole different area of our country, too. Yeah, yeah. We actually have um, a, a similar community here in Ontario in St. Jacobs, where the Amish and the Mennonites live. And I just love going there, especially in the fall. I know. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So my name is Tina Morton. I am married uh, 17 years to my husband, Dennis, and we have four children, uh, a 14-year-old boy, a 10-year-old girl, a 7-year-old girl, a 4-year-old girl, and we have our little guy, Teddy, that we're going to talk about today a little bit. He would have been uh, 12 this December. Okay. um, So that's the story we're going to talk about. Uh, Professionally, I launched Tight Ship Mama officially got my LLC last January and this fall was supposed to be my big launch. The kids are supposed to go right. back to school. It'd be 
first time without kids. And then all this COVID happened. So I am pivoting towards online courses. And I have a YouTube channel where I help women run their homes like a type ship. Mm -hmm. um, do this with decluttering and budgeting, meal planning, implementing routines. And I love a little personal development in there for some flavor. I love that. And you'll have to um, let us know what the name of your YouTube channel is so that, you know, women, and I'm sure even women who aren't moms mm -hmm. or have, like myself, I have triplets, but they're 22. They're all out of the house right now. And I still could use some help with um, running a tight ship and yeah. getting organized and keeping it all together. So share your YouTube channel with us so we can get in touch with you and, and watch you do your thing. Well, that's also called Tight Ship Mama. Okay, well, that's easy, isn't it? We I just need to Google Tight Ship Mama and we'll get everything. Okay, so that's me. I don't run a perfect household. It's, it's, we don't go for perfect, we go for like good enough, you know? Yep. That's perfect. That's perfect for me because you know what? Perfection is something that um, creates anxiety in me. So that's one of the reasons like you and I had chatted before I hit record on this conversation that um, I'm not editing because I want it to feel real and perfection to me does not feel real. So I love that that's your take on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want women to... Really my whole goal is just free yourself up from the stuff we all have to do. Whether you have kids, you're married, you're not married, everybody has to run a house. Everybody has to yes. have a budget. Everybody has to put food on the table at night. Very so true, yeah. let's just get that stuff out of the way and kind of make it as automatic as we mm -hmm. can so we can get on to what we're really called to do. Yeah, I love that. And I know that before you landed here with um, the four children that you have now and your business, Tight Ship Mama, there was another story, you know, as they call it, the prequel. And um, I know that that's the story that will touch a lot of our hearts. And, you know, some of us may want to have a little bit of Kleenex ready. And, and, yeah, yeah. I'm still not immune to crying. No, you know what? Tears are like poetry to me. And, and they express beauty as much as they do sadness and they're like prayers as far as I'm concerned so whatever you need to do know that I am sending you virtual hugs and we all are so grateful for you sharing your story and um, as I said in the introduction previous to our recording, I, I created a little bit of an introduction that, you know, I know on December 15th, 2008, you said to your husband, you got to get me to the hospital. Yes. I love, I love how it was, I, I wanted to ask you like, what, how did you give birth within, what was it, seven minutes of arriving at the hospital? Like who yeah. does that? This was, Teddy was your third born? No, he was, all right, so let me back up a little okay. bit. Um, so I had, my first child was uh, a son, and his name mm -hmm. is Charlie. And so Charlie was about two, and I actually had another pregnancy that I miscarried. Okay. And then I got pregnant with Teddy. And uh -huh. I'm Catholic, and that's a big part of who I am, and yes. I'm God a lot in this conversation, probably. That's okay. So I figured I was watching your Instagram and stuff. So I know that you're okay with that. And um, so anyway, I remember, uh, so the, the Catholic church is different years. Okay. So at the time in 2008, it was the year of St. Paul. And this just means oh. that we kind of focus on that aspect of the church. So the, the epistles of St. Paul. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I remember after I had had this miscarriage and I quickly was pregnant then with Teddy, I remember praying in my backyard. I'm big on praying where you are, you know, like washing the dishes, gardening, whatever you're doing, make it a prayer. Me too. So I was praying in the backyard and I remember saying, you know, dear God, give me a son. I just, I always, I babysat boys. I always wanted two boys. So I was like, just give me a son and I'll name him Paul, you know, in honor of St. Paul and the year of St. Paul. Mm -hmm. So let's 
get to December, December 15th. Um, it was a cold night here in Pennsylvania and I had made hamburgers for dinner and I wasn't feeling well. And I was um, 37 weeks to the day. So Teddy was as early as he could be, but still considered full term. Mm -hmm. and I made dinner and I said to my husband, I just, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. And I went to bed and I woke up with my water breaking. And I, I like to stay home as long as possible. Apparently, yeah, apparently. <laughs> I may have pushed it a little, little too much this time. But I got, in the I got in the bathtub and I was just like letting the water do its thing. And you know, my son was asleep. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And, um, but then it got to the point where I couldn't really take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I go downstairs. I said to my husband, like, we got to go. And um, like start neighbor, the car now. Yeah, my neighbor came to cover until my parents could get there and stuff. And um, so I was in labor to the point where I couldn't even really speak. And the only thing I remember saying to my husband was, I don't have my seatbelt on because I couldn't even get my seatbelt on. Right, right. We got to the hospital and thank God there was a woman out there somewhere that had a baby on that same night because my midwife was already at the hospital. So when the doors of the elevator opened, she was there and I said, I need an epidural. And she's like, let's check, let's check. So she checks me and um, she's like, you don't need an epidural, you need to push. So oh, that was, that was his fast and furious entrance. And it was seven minutes. Like you didn't even have time to register. You were just like, this is happening now. Yeah. It was so good. because it was something that happened so quickly. Well, first of all, I love that your midwife was there. Like what I'm picturing in my mind is you get to the hospital and the elevator doors open and your midwife is there, you know, with, with the angel wings or something. And you're like, Oh, you know, as if you're you willed her to be there through prayer. I love that. But yes, and I, I love my midwife. So, and I, I had used her to deliver my first child. So I was kind of like comfortable with her and yeah. it's going to be a great experience. And so they, she was like, you need to push what were you in the hallway? Did they get you into a room because it was happening so quick? Did what happened? I got to a room. I don't remember much other than I think maybe it was a futon. I remember being really low to the ground or something and okay. it really fast. And then, um, so when he was born, he, and you'll, you can chime in because you have the oncology background. So when he was born, Teddy was covered head to toe in little fingerprint sized black and blue marks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they immediately rushed him to the neonatal intensive care unit. And um, my husband went with them. And then they started asking me questions, you know, like, were you exposed to chicken pox and the different things? And mm -hmm. I had a toddler. So I was around kids more than I ever right. was around yeah. first. You know, so I was like, I don't know, maybe I was, you know, because a, a baby can have mm -hmm. a full-blown case of chicken pox in utero. So they didn't know if this was scarring. They didn't know what it was. Um, so they took him away and, you know, there's a lot to do with the mom after she's had a baby. So they were taking care of me and my mom got to the hospital. My dad went to my house to watch Charlie mm -hmm. and my mom walked in and she she didn't see my stomach and she's like, where's, what's going on? I was like, oh, I already had the baby. <laughs> and she was like, what? I said, yeah. And, um, you know, and it was kind of like a, it was still a fun, I just had a baby. I got my second child and it's a boy and you know, it's yeah. all good. And, but then later they would take me up to the NICU and there was, I always say, you know, my husband and I speak publicly about this, and I always say there was a huge semicircle of professionals in front of me, and I was in a wheelchair mm -hmm. because I wasn't walking and stuff, and, you know, it was doctors, nurse practitioners, all, everybody, you know, mm -hmm. a huge crowd of people, and they said that um, his white cell blood, his white blood cell count was higher than they had ever seen. And um, they said, we don't know what he's fighting, but his body is definitely fighting something. Mm -hmm. And 
at that point, I chimed up and I asked, isn't that a sign of cancer? And everybody was silent mm-hmm. and they all stared at me. And to get to the title of your podcast, mm-hmm. that's when I knew. That was your but, moment. That was my moment. But it's not the moment you're probably expecting. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back um, to when I was a little kid. And when I was a little kid, I had a few things planted in my heart. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I will tell you, I knew I was going to have five kids. I knew I was going to have a phenomenal marriage and I knew I was going to go through something big. Hmm. I knew that whatever I was going to go through, my husband and our marriage was going to be part of it. Right. And when I was dating my husband, I told him this stuff, like almost like a warning, like, Hey, listen, dude. I know I'm going to go through something big and you're going to be part of it and you're going to get dragged into it. And it's, it's God's plan and whatever it is, it's going to be okay. And PS, you better like kids. Cause we are yeah. going to have a guy. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I told them the five part. <laughs> like held off on that a little bit. So in hindsight, when I say in my speech that I knew, mm-hmm. I think it wasn't necessarily that I knew it was cancer. I think I just, it was what it was. Mm -hmm. I think what I knew was that this seed that had been planted in my heart when I was a little kid, my mission, Mm -hmm. the purpose of me being here, I knew that it had begun. And it was powerful. How powerful. And did you, did you give that moment up to God and say, I'm here for it. Lead me. Yeah, I did. And that night, so again, this is all happening late at night. Mm -hmm. He was baptized at two o'clock in the morning. Um, Our pastor came to the hospital to baptize him because they didn't think he was going to live through the night. So it was a little urgent that he get baptized. And um, so a lot of this is going on through the night. My midwife came back and I remember my husband was sleeping in that chair next to my bed and my midwife and I, we just sat in the dark and we talked for like an hour and she gave me a journal and she was like, you need to write this story down. And I think I wrote for like a day or two. (laughs) And then I, you know, I'm not really good at journaling, but we talked all through the night. I mean, not all through the night, we talked for a long time, my midwife and I. And then the next day, I remember my mom was there and our priest and I think maybe my sister-in-law and my husband, and that's when the, the oncologist came in and he told us that Teddy had cancer and they just weren't sure what type, because there's a type that I guess is almost fleeting. You know, it's, a, it's associated with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And do you know about this? And I, I do know a little bit, but I wouldn't want to speak to it because I wouldn't say that I could give the appropriate and full information. <laughs> I do. I just wanted to ask you, um, when they were surrounding you, like in that semicircle, they mm-hmm. knew that Teddy had a high white blood cell count. They right. figured he was fighting something. You were the one who mentioned cancer but did they present you with any possibilities prior to that? Like, did they suggest the only other thing else? The only other thing that they kind of planted in my head was the chicken pox. And that was just a quick question. They asked me like, Mm -hmm. Hey, were you exposed to chicken pox only because of his skin being right completely covered in like, he literally was polka dotted is what he looked like. And did they do any sort of um, spinal fluid testing or bone marrow testing or anything like that on such a wee babe? Or this was the oncologist had enough information that they could confidently come to you and say, this is what Teddy has. I guess they must have done a blood test because the doctor came the next day and he said, it's either this. I don't know what to call it other than a fleeting cancer. They could treat it at at our local hospital and it's affiliated with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was one possible case. And the other, the other he said is leukemia that 
we all kind of know about, like your typical leukemia. Um, he's a, they didn't really know which one. And I'm not sure if it was, I think we had to wait until we were transferred to the next hospital to get the, the real diagnosis was okay. um, acute myeloid leukemia is what he ended up having. But to get back to the story, so that's when the doctor came in. He told us it was one of those two cancers. And um, I just felt so sorry for him. You know, like, like you got to pray for your nurses and your doctors because like, that's, that's his, like, he knew when he walked into our room that he was going to have to tell us that, you know? So I, I felt so sorry for him. And, but I knew this was part of God's plan. And I had a very strong piece about me. People kept saying, oh, she's in shock. And they would talk about me like I couldn't hear them. And like, oh, she's, she's, yeah. she's saying, I'm, I'm right here. I can hear you. <laughs> like, they talk about you, you know, behind your back in front of your face. And you're like, uh, I, and I, I was like, I'm not in shock. I'm just, I literally feel the hand of God on my shoulder and I'm going to be fine. And it's, this whole thing is going to be fine. And so then I remember I, you know, again, I just had a baby. So my mom was helping me in the bathroom, you know, after this doctor had left and stuff and she was really upset you know it's it's a double whammy oh yeah definitely they're watching their i'm their baby and then it's a grandchild so it's really i mean this was really hard on everybody and i remember being in this bathroom with my mom and i just was so confident that this is what i was called to do that i said to my mom you know and like i remember being quite stern with her and just saying, you know, when I was pregnant, I prayed for a boy and I promised to name him Paul. So he's Theodore Paul. And I said, and St. Paul changed people's lives. He, you know, had a complete turnaround and just went on to do amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, so get your tears out because when we open that door, it's go time and we are going to fight this. And whatever this child is supposed to do, we're along for the ride. And we have to trust that we're all here to do what we're supposed to do at this time with this child. Good for so, you. Strength is beautiful. I, I, I love your connection to your faith. It's just beautiful. So thank you. <laughs> so then they could not treat him at our local hospital. So we were, um, now this is kind of where tight shit mama comes in a little bit. Yeah. I'm a budgeter. We, my husband has his own business and, um, money starting up his business was always really tight. And I, I was a stay at home mom. So I was always like pinching pennies and doing everything I could do. And so when they told us that we were going out to Hershey, Pennsylvania, they also told us that we would be, you know, to go check out this Ronald McDonald house too. Mm -hmm. And this is just a little example of God takes care of all the little details that we are going to stress about. So there, at the time, there were, I believe, 302 Ronald McDonald houses in the world. And only two of them were completely free to their guests. So guess which one we got to go to? The free one. <laughs> we got to go to the free one. Yay. So it was like, Okay, one worry. Because at first I'm thinking, like, do we get an apartment? Like, what do we do? I don't, you know, like, do we sell our house? And I'm thinking, like, I'm no longer a stay-at-home mom. Like, I need to go back to work. Like, how in the world are we going to pay for this? Mm -hmm. you no. Know? But not only were we sent to the only Ronald or one of two Ronald McDonald houses that were free, we were sent to Hershey Medical Center, which is associated with Penn State University, which has the largest run student philanthropic endeavor in the world. And that we call THON. And all the money raised at THON goes to support children at Hershey Medical Center undergoing treatment for cancer. Anything our insurance did not cover for Teddy, THON money would have kicked in and covered until he was 18 years old. That, is, that is incredible. That uh -huh. is divine intervention and all of those synchronicities allowed you to be there for Teddy the way that you felt was right 
um, moving at it from a place of heart instead of um, logistics. Yes. And that's the stressful part. Like when you have a sick yeah. child, you know, we saw people, we were so blessed because we had the, the, the money from Thon and our insurance, I have to say was phenomenal. Like they did cover everything. Um, but ha you know, we did get money from Thon for cafeteria food, which adds up really, really fast. You know, three meals a day in the cafeteria mm -hmm. is a lot. Um, we got gas for our car, which I mean, this stuff doesn't sound like a lot, but at the time it was so important to us. You know, my husband was commuting an hour and a half, mm -hmm. you know, as many days as he could. Um, we got a thousand dollars, um, for the funeral and that was a huge help because we didn't have any kind of insurance for mm -hmm. our kids. So, um, it was a huge blessing and, you know, we, we saw, you know, again, getting back to the stressful part of having a sick child is, you know, there's so many parents that every day they have to make a decision. Am I going to work or am I going to go to the hospital and see my kid? You what know, and what a good point. It just breaks my heart to think that any parent has to make that decision. And I remember my days working at the hospital for sick kids in Toronto and um, the heartbreak of parents who couldn't travel to be with their children necessarily. And, you know, very much like the hospital where you are, there are people from all over the world that go to the hospital for sick children for treatment and thank goodness for charities that operate that help to get those children there and parents as best they can but it's usually one parent not both um i love that you had that help and that it it provided some relief on some level and the fact that my son was not in school yet, he was only two, mm -hmm. that is a huge blessing because what would we have done with him oh, being, yeah. you know, so it really was the perfect time if there is such a time, you know, um, and my son, and it's so funny because I've gone on to have three more kids none of my girls would have been able to do what my son Charlie did. Like I used to, we used to joke that he was going to think his name was such a good boy. Cause that's all I used to say to him was like, oh, such, a good boy. You're such a good boy. Oh, <laughs> and he, you know, imagine like I'm in my dining room right now. I don't even think our hospital room was as big as my dining room. And I had a two year old in there all day, every day. Well, first we were in the NICU. That's a whole different story, but like we popped around the hospital in different places. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was so good. And he would just play with his little Thomas the trains and he had the sandbox work and he was just such a content little guy mm -hmm. that he was the perfect companion for me to spend all day in the hospital with. Right. Yeah. But that's another big obstacle for parents is like, what do you do with your healthy kids? Like that's a huge. <sighs> so huge true. Cause there's a whole psychology behind that, especially, um, when the kids are young and they can't comprehend what's happening and they are rightly so egotistical at that time when they need the world to be about them. It is, that's a really good point. Um, you're lucky that your son was quote, such a good boy. <laughs> such a good boy. Yes. He's my little buddy. And now he's home. He's back home with me now. He's uh, doing the virtual learning. This hmm. The, the semester I thought I was going to be like, you know, kid free. I'm back to my original sidekick here. Surely a sign of the time. So Teddy goes to the next hospital. You get the definitive diagnosis of acute myeloid leukemia yes. and chemo, I'm assuming, was the next step. So how many days after Teddy was born did they start chemotherapy? On his fourth day. Oh my goodness. He was, oh my goodness. So, and I, I mean, you are really, it's such a, it's such a funny, it's not a coincidence, but you know this stuff better than I do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just think like, well, start the kid on chemo, but it was such a process because yes. he was so tiny that um i mean he was a full-size baby he was like eight pounds or something like yeah. that but um tiny compared to us you mm. know that they were afraid that when they started the chemo that so many of the dead white cells would shed that he would 
you know, it would cause other issues like blindness or mm -hmm. um, block his kidneys. And so our first blessing was that he went through his first night of chemo and nothing bad really happened. Like he, mm -hmm. he did really well with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is hard because, you know, the whole idea, even to explain to an adult who's going through it, that I, I say that chemo is that one thing where you have to be cruel to be kind, like in order to try to kill off the cancer, you also sometimes kill off normal cells. And that's what produces all of the awful side effects that people can have to move through when they're experiencing chemo. And, you know, when you have a child or a newborn baby who you can't help understand that or rationalize it, you know, that feeling of, of hopelessness, I'm sure just gets at your heart, you know, trying to say to the babe, you know, we have to do this pray for them, I'm so sorry, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like Teddy was a real trooper. He was good, yeah. <laughs> he did his job. He did the best he could do. Yeah. And how long did they have him on chemotherapy? And did they find that there was some benefit in the beginning? Yeah, he was doing really well. And I, you know what, I should have asked my husband. I don't remember like how many rounds of chemo he had. Um, we came home two times. So in between rounds of chemo, he was able to come home to our, our house. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time was for one week and the second time was for two weeks. So he, it was looking really, really good. Mm -hmm. and the ultimate goal was to get him to the point where he could have a bone marrow transplant. And our son, Charlie was a perfect match. Oh, so wonderful. That was, that was the goal. And they estimated that it would take about a year to mm -hmm. go through the whole process. So we were really prepared to live there for a year. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, the chemo knocks out your immune system. And he was born in December. We went through the winter. And, you know, the harder you try to stay healthy, <laughs> the, the more vulnerable your body feels. And unfortunately, uh, Teddy got RSV. Oh, bless. That was that was really the bad part of it. And um, so he ended up in the PICU, which is the pediatric, because once you physically, I don't know how it is in Canada, but once you physically leave the hospital, you can never go back to the NICU. So the NICU is only for infants, even though he was transferred from one hospital to the other, they don't consider that like he went from our hospital into the ambulance, into the hospital. Okay. So, um, but once he went home for the first time, then he could never go back to the NICU. So then we were, put on the oncology wing. And then when he developed the RSV, we were, he was put into the, um, he had one night in the intermediate unit and then he went on to the PICU, which is the mm -hmm. pediatric intensive care unit. Okay. And that's where he ended up in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So they ended up, they did have to intubate him. Mm -hmm. so that was the. Okay. That's, that's tough because he seemed to be thriving through the chemo and you were looking forward to a stem cell transplant. And you know what, you're right. Like no one knows when you're diagnosed with cancer or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, you kind of get hyper-focused and think that that will be the thing that might cause their demise. And I don't think people really consider that sometimes God has a different plan and it may not be that thing. And so I had assumed wrongly that it was from the AML that Teddy passed away, but it sounds like he was actually doing well with it until like you say, his immune system had become so weak from the chemotherapy and the treatments that he couldn't fight off the RSV. Right, right. Wow. No, yeah. And there was another little issue. Um, I was changing him one day in the hospital and that was, I think, March 17th. And as I was changing him, I felt a little bump 
And when I looked at the bump, it was black and blue. Mm. We had just come back from being at our house and I had a two year old and as great as Charlie is, I didn't know, like, did he pinch the baby? Like what, you know, did something happen? So I called the doctor and I said, I found this. And she said, you know, we're going to have to take a, a sample of that. And she said, if, if this is cancer, she goes, it's, it's not a good sign because that was the other thing they told us. They said, you know, some people just kind of reject the treatment. Like it's just not working. And so it did come back positive for, for leukemia again. So, you know, but it, it was okay. We were going to do another round and mm -hmm. see, but then he really, he really took a turn with the cough and the, the oh. RSV and stuff. Yeah. So, and it's horrible because I was breastfeeding him but they, they want to take them, I don't want to say to dehydrate the child, but you want to try to dry them up as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So they weren't, they were giving them like bare minimum um, IVs and I couldn't feed him and it was horrible. Like he was just screaming and screaming and screaming. And I knew like I had the solution like right on me. Yeah. I can fix this, but um, it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So then yeah. they made the decision to intubate him. So. And how many days was he in the hospital with the RSV before he passed away? So I'm not 100% sure, but March 17th was when I found that black and blue mark. A couple days later, he was put into the PICU. Mm -hmm. And he died April 21st. So he had about three or four weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And did they prepare you for that moment? Like, did they recognize that his little body was failing? He wasn't recovering. Um, were you prepared for that moment to happen? Um, you know, of course it, it was always a possibility. I mean, we definitely, we had our middle of the night runs to the hospital, you know, and you go to the wrong entrance, you forget your parent pass, you're like, you know, you're freaking out. So we definitely had a lot of those kind of moments. Um, but I honestly thought he was going to make it. I really did. Like, I, like, I just, I really thought he was going to make it. Mm -hmm. oh. but, <laughs> so anyway, and the day before he died, so we had, I mean, like I said, that a lot of it is, a lot of the stress is what do you do with this healthy child? And my sister and her husband are Charlie's godparents. Aww. And I always get choked up because they are true godparents in every sense of the word. And my sister had a six month old baby of her own. And when it was getting hard for Charlie to be with me at the hospital, um, my sister stepped up and my brother-in-law stepped up and they were like, we'll take him. So they took Charlie um, for as long as they could. I went maybe a, a month or something. And I mean, she had him in swim lessons and she was like really doing, <laughs> he had a better life there than like what I could give him in, in, a, in our house. But he, you know, he missed us and it was getting really hard to say goodbye on Sunday nights. And he was having some struggles being away from us. So I decided that I'm going to have him with me. Um, because at the PICU, we called it the fishbowl. It was a, a corner of the PICU where Teddy was, and it was all glass, and it was a lot of machines. And where Charlie used to nap on the windowsill, it was like a bed, a day bed in the, on the oncology wing. There wasn't anywhere for him to nap anymore. But I just said to, I said to my husband, you know what? I'm going to be with Teddy as long as I can be with him. If we can be there 45 minutes and Charlie's not having it, then we're going to go. I'm not going to stress Teddy's intubated. Maybe he knows I'm here, but I need to focus on Charlie right now. And I, you know, I, I got some really great advice out there from a, a dear friend that I made. And she said, you know, a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child. And at that point, as sick as Teddy was, Charlie was the one that needed me. So mm -hmm. I had to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be with Charlie. And I said to him, listen, dude, you're going to have to learn to sleep on mommy's lap. If you want to, if you want to be at the hospital, you're going to sleep on mommy's lap. And, um, that first, that first day, it was a Monday, I believe. 
um, Teddy was having a really good day and they were actually decreasing his oxygen levels. Things were looking great. My dad was a salesman and he was like popping through the town. So he came to visit me and my husband didn't come to the hospital that day because when my, when Teddy was doing well, my husband focused on work. So he would, right. he was home and work. Charlie slept on my lap and it was looking great. And I always, I came up with this kind of mantra at the hospital that um, maybe you'll appreciate. You get the nurse you need on the day you need her. That was my mantra. And I had some nurses that let me cry. And I had some nurses that were like, buck up little camper. It's, it's time for you to be the mom. And this particular day we had a nurse that um, she herself had lost a child as an infant to a virus. And, you know, he was having a great day coming off the oxygen and I let myself dream about going home with my kids and having a normal life and we're going to beat this. But she ended up just kind of giving me a really hard dose of reality that the truth was he probably would never come off of a ventilator, that we would probably have a nurse that would need to live with us 24 seven, mm -hmm. um, that we would never have a normal life. And the more she talked, the sicker I got, like my stomach was just like in knots. And I just thought like, oh my gosh, please stop talking. Please stop talking. Mm -hmm. And my dad is hearing all this. And I remember I just said to my dad, don't tell mom any of this because I knew my mom would really worry. And it was just a lot to take in, you know, but I really do consider that conversation one of the greatest blessings I could have been given because anytime I have these delusions of grandeur that like we were going to be this great, happy family. Um, I think back to that conversation and I think, could you have really done it, Gina? You know, like we had a really small house and like, what kind of marriage are you going to have with a nurse in the next room, you know, and every vacation you're bringing a nurse with you. Like, it's just, I don't know. And I just, I just really started getting sick about it. And um, I don't know. I just, that night, um, my dad ended up staying over because my husband wasn't there and my son actually had like some kind of a issue with his breathing that we ended up in the ER with my Charlie. Okay. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh my gosh, like how much more can I take? So I get Charlie back, you know, like to the Ronald McDonald house and my dad's there. And then I get the call from the hospital. Teddy's not doing well. And I'm like, okay. So um, it really wasn't looking good. So mm -hmm. I called my husband and my husband always says, he knew it was bad because I was so calm. Like I was, and, but I was thinking like, I don't want him to rush and get into a car accident. So I was like, it's all good. Just need you to come, you know, it's gonna be fine. And um, the night went really quickly, very quickly downhill. Um, and I just, I got to the point where I told God, I was tired hmm. and like tired to my core, you know, like it had been four months. Um, when we left for Hershey, I packed a bag with like an outfit and my husband's like, I think you better pack more than that. And I really, I had no clue what I was getting into. Like, I really thought they were going to fix them up. We'd be, ba we'd be back home in a week and it'd be great. Yeah. Um, but it would be six weeks until I stepped foot in my house again. And so I was tired, like really, really tired. Um, Teddy had fought such a good fight and my Charlie was really struggling and um, they were really keeping Teddy alive with drugs. And this, to this day, I am so grateful for my husband that he has never questioned my decision, but I really do feel it was the Holy Spirit came over me and I had prayed and prayed. I mean, we prayed for hours watching these doctors work on him. And, you know, I remember praying like, please remember something from medical school, something, some article that you read that is going to be the, the key to getting this fixed right now. And it just wasn't looking like that. And um, I just, I put my hands up and I said, that's enough. We're done. Mm -hmm. And they just, everybody hands off immediately. And I said, I want to hold him. We're done. 
So because once you're intubated, you can't hold your child. Mm-hmm. So at least for him, I don't know if everybody, but, and it had been a month since I held him and I said, I'm done. I want to hold him. And they did the best they could because it was still a ton of wires connected to him. But I got to hold him and I think we held him for like two hours and then he did pass. Mm, That is so, so powerful. And sometimes the kindest thing you can do is truly allow God to make the decision truly and it's not easy um i've seen parents struggle with the decision to say that's enough because there can be a lot of guilt with it you know where they think is it enough because i've had enough or is it enough because i need god to call my child home if that's what it needs to be and it's so important, you know, I think for people to have faith in something, whether it's whatever they want to call it, God, source, mother nature, their partner, you, anything. And, and I can't imagine how you would have been able to move through this story with the grace and the gratitude and the strength that you have without your faith. And, and what I really really respect is that in that moment when you thought that's enough you said it out loud and move forward with it and you know that the hospital staff were hands off and let's make this happen it shows as well you know the beauty of the circle of life however short life life can be and you got to spend that time with teddy and you know I'm a, I'm a mom and, you know, please, God forbid, but if, if that was a moment in my life, I would want to hold my child. I think it, it must be hard to get the call that your child has passed um, and you're not there. See, now I'm getting all emotional thinking about, it. oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, and I, I do, I pray every day, Gina, I pray, God, please don't let me outlive my children or my grandchildren. And, you know, to see you and speak to you and and feel the pain, but see the hope that came out of it as well and the beauty, for lack of a better word, out of your journey, it just fills my heart. Fills my heart. Thank you. So there is a good, there is a good ending. (laughs) Bring it on. (laughs) All right. So uh, we got home and I mean, it's not all rainbows and gumdrops. It was really, it was hard. You know, the the next few months were very, very hard. And I would just pray if anyone, if any of your listeners are going through something similar, it's, I literally prayed for five minutes apiece. Like, dear God, please get me through five minutes. Give me five minutes of not feeling this incredible pain. Right. And then it was 15 minutes. And then I would pray for a half an hour. And then I would pray like, can you just give me a morning where I don't feel this weight of this loss? Mm-hmm. And then it was a day and, you know, and um, it never goes away. The pain never goes away, but you just learn to live with it. And I, um, and another child never replaces a child that you lose. Absolutely. I was very fortunate that I was able to get pregnant um, shortly thereafter. And um, on March 25th, 2010, which is uh, in the Catholic faith, is the Feast of the Annunciation. And that's where we celebrate when Mary gave her unconditional yes to the angel Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Um, so on March 25th, 2010, 10, we welcomed our daughter Simone into the world. And she is named for St. Simon of Cyrene, who helped Jesus carry his cross. Oh, that's beautiful. He's my little St. Simon. And she was the perfect baby for that season of my life because she didn't sleep. She didn't eat. (laughs) She was like, 
Okay. He's <laughs> so busy. So I mean, we, I used to say we ate so much risotto because it was the only thing I could, could cook because she was in the baby Bjorn and I would just bounce and bounce and bounce. And stir. And yeah. <laughs> stir. And, but it was a blessing because I didn't have time really to feel sorry for myself. And, um, absolutely. Yeah. But I have to ask, cause I, you know, I try to think sometimes, you know, if listeners could chime in, what, what questions would they have? Um, were you worried with your next pregnancy? Did you, did you ever fear that the baby would be born and you might see those black and blue spots again? Did they consider you high risk since you had the previous experience with Teddy? Like, was it a different pregnancy and delivery for you? Um, good question. So Teddy was only the 31st case ever of they call it congenital leukemia when you're born mm -hmm. with leukemia. So the, 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 the side of my brain that's like the practical side is like the, the odds of this happening are so incredibly rare. Mm -hmm. so that, that was reassuring. Um, and then my husband, he said, you know, if it happens again, then there must be something between the two of us mm -hmm. that's possibly causing this to happen. And if that's the case, then maybe there's a cure in there. Mm. So we just trusted that it was, no matter what, it was going to be what we could handle. And, um, but she's as healthy as can be. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I, I like in your talk how you said that, um, what, what was the phrase? Teddy lived, I wrote it down, 120 seven days and met 31 people. Yes. Were the 31 people all medical personnel? When we made that comment, so you're referring to the speech that we gave at Thon one year, yeah. Um, yeah. for your that didn't, that aren't gonna see that. Um, my husband and I were, were asked to speak at Thon one year. So that's up at Penn State where, where they ask the families um, mm -hmm. to speak in what they call it's like their final hours so the kids are standing for um like from friday night to sunday afternoon so this is like family hour which is like the last couple hours of the event we gave a speech um no the 31 people that was people from our family and friends so this is including like neighbors that when we did come home uh for the the one week and then the two week stint um, I remember I had to go get my license renewed, like just silly stuff like that, that you like yes. life has to go on, you yes. know? Yes. And I remember like my neighbor that originally came for, for when I was in labor, she came because I was like, I have to go get my license. Like, I can't take this child out, you know, cause he has like no immune system. So she came and like held him the whole, I was like, I just hold him, like <laughs> just hold him and I'll be back. So he had a babysitter technically. Um, all of our family, you know, our siblings and um, our family really, really stepped up. I mean, everybody took a turn watching Charlie because again, that's the hardest part. And, and all of our parents worked still at the time, you know, so right. we were asking people to take off work and use their vacation days. And um, everybody really pitched in. I met friends of friends in Hershey that like would babysit Charlie. And, um, you know, it was just a really... I could talk all day about the incredible experiences we had when we were living out there and the people and we The relationship that you developed with Penn State. Yes. How yes. did that come to be? So um, w when Teddy was actually in the hospital, it was February. And that's when Thon happens. Mm, so okay. it's usually President's Day weekend. And um, so it's a huge deal to dance at Thon. Okay. So you have to, it's, um, you have to raise money. You're in an org, which it, it originally started with fraternities and sororities, but it, it has expanded into like different other yeah. organizations. Okay. So we didn't really understand what Thon was when we were actually in Hershey at the hospital, but the really ironic part, like, again, like this, I could tell you stories all day long. <laughs> we lived in, in, um, an attached home, you know, like, yeah, I don't know yeah. what you call them where you live, but it's like, townhouse. 
Yeah. Are but it was detached? Was it only two? Two is that? Was it just two homes side by each? We call yeah. that semi-detached. Okay. So that's okay. what we lived in. And um, the people that we were attached to, um, she was a nurse, the mom was a nurse, and they have a son named Peter. And he was a junior at Penn State at the time. Now for a junior to dance is even more rare than to be chosen to be a dancer at all. Okay. But it just happens, it just so happens that the year that Teddy was in the hospital, he was dancing, you know, at Fawn while we were there. And then on top of that, so Peter had to come home from Penn State and they have these things called canning weekends. So you go home to your hometown and you literally stand in the intersections or out in front of stores with a coffee can and you people put change in there to raise money for Thon. Okay. And the priest at our church at the time, his like uncle or somebody was like one of the only adults at Penn State Thon. So he knew what Thon was and Catholics are not really, we're not pray for one another from the pulpit kind of people, you know, <laughs> like it's, <clears throat> it's kind of a private religion and it's just not, it's, we just don't do that. But anyway, Peter was home um, canning. And so our priest, now we hear this after the fact, our priest stands up and Peter had been an altar boy. He had gone to the Catholic school, the Catholic high school. And our priest stands up and he says, oh, he goes, when these doors open outside is Peter. I'm not gonna say his last name. He was an altar boy. He went to this school. He's one of our own and he's helping one of our own because they had been sharing Teddy's story from the pulpit. Um, and he said, when those doors open, I want you guys to give. And they raised as much money, if not more, in the five and 10 minutes after church than they did like all weekend. <laughs> and just wow. amazing, because we really don't do that at our church. Mm -hmm. Like you really, um, you know, the Knights of Columbus get to ask for money, that, but not really like college kids asking money, mm -hmm. you know? So it was like, there were so many little stories of just wonderful, wonderful things that happened. And all. I love, I love synchronicities. I really believe that um, the universe lights the path for you with a series of synchronicities. And when you just follow them, God leads you to where you need to be. Um, so what does Thon stand for? Do you know? I was... Thon is actually from, I think it's from Marathon. Like it's a dance Oh, I was wondering, Dance Marathon. Yeah. Okay. And, and somehow from that, is this how you landed becoming a philanthropist and working <laughs> well, charities and raising <laughs> money? And yeah, we were always kind of active, you know, um, giving in different ways. Yeah. And when, when this happened, I think you can, you know, a lot of people when they're, they're hit with cancer, you know, cancer becomes their thing. And again, like one of the greatest blessings is that my husband and I are very much in sync and mm -hmm. we've grieved the same, which is a huge, I mean, the, the divorce rate for losing a child is like, I don't know, like 90%. Really it's yes. really hard. So, but we, we've really bonded together over this and we didn't really want cancer to be our thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, what we, we had a really good experience with the Ronald McDonald house and anyone can stay at the Ronald McDonald house if your child is, is at the hospital getting treated. Mm -hmm. So we really, we felt strongly to give towards the Ronald McDonald house. So um, when Teddy was alive, our friends, they threw like a fundraiser because they assumed that we were broke, but they didn't understand about Thon. So we said, okay, we don't need this money, but why don't you guys go ahead with it and we'll donate that to Thon. So they donated over 5,000 to Thon while Teddy was alive. And then when he died, we did the in lieu of flowers, please give to the Ronald McDonald house. Mm -hmm. And that raised another five or $6,000. Um, but again, the whole root of the problem was that our child couldn't be treated here in our hometown. Right. Why, why do people from our area get sent to Philly? Why do they get sent to New York? Why are they getting sent to Hershey? We want kids to be close to their families here. So the past 
four years, um, my husband and I, especially him, he and I are raising money to build a children's hospital here in the Lehigh Valley. And that is, um, it's actually, a, it's a thing, it's happened. So um, we committed to raising half a million for that. We have not hit our goal yet, but it's the um, Lehigh Valley Riley's Children's Hospital. And um, we're just so excited to have kids be able to stay close to their families here and get treated here. What is the population of, of Lehigh Valley? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> is it like a big place? Um, I don't know what to say. Allentown specifically is the third largest city in the state of Pennsylvania. So it's oh, Pittsburgh, wow. okay. and Allentown. So it's like a mid-sized city. Yeah. So it can definitely um, use a hospital like this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, we had a, we had a hospital here. It just couldn't treat everything. And um, mm -hmm. we partnered with Sloan Kettering. So now really like we learned a lot about cancer um when when teddy was sick it's really the great minds all coming together via right. computer and it's like a system you know like st jude sloan kettering and um so you're really getting the brightest minds all kind of yeah, working absolutely. and it was such a unique case that everybody was like woo you know like like all the residents would be like oh let me see him let me see him you know like it was exciting for for the doctors to see so, so that's our goal. we want to we want to like make sure that this hospital gets um all the funding that they need um they could use an ambulance you know that those are expensive and uh so there's still work to do we're still so you have a very special relationship with penn state i would say and with fawn and yes. and your community etc and um i really we do speak on behalf of Thon because part yeah. of our job as a, they call it a Four Diamonds family, is to help okay. raise money. Um, and like high schools will do what they call mini Thons. Yeah. So we do speak on behalf of Penn State, but we, we do it out of this area because okay. we don't want to compete with our own hospital. Oh, no, that makes sense. I, I, I understand that. I get that. Yeah. I think um, my biggest takeaway after listening to your story is that while Teddy only lived 127 days, he absolutely lives on in the spirit of everything that you and your husband and your family and your church and Penn State are and Peter are are doing. It's it's a story of love that continues after a physical being dies like teddy's spirit and energy is all around you and obviously infused in everything that you do he's always going to be such an important member of your family mm -hmm. and i bless you and i'm so grateful that you shared your story but i do want to ask you um if we have listeners who are moving through something like this themselves, whether it's with a child of their own, or they have a family member or a dear friend, um, what is the one thing that you could share with them that will help them be able to move through so much pain um, without losing sight of all of the other blessings that exist in life? I would say number one, pray, 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 you know, like mm -hmm. that's definitely going to get you through. But if you're, if they're not religious or the praying type, I think you can still take a lot of um, knowledge from just Jesus carrying the cross mm -hmm. and just find your own Simon of Cyrene. You know, if it's a group of friends, that are going to help you pray, you know, or if you don't pray, I mean, like, just um, be with you, you know, like, I had a friend that she came over one day, and she goes, do you just want to come over and cry, and I was like, that's so weird, no, but it's true, like, I did, and, and now, like, when something does happen to, like, somebody, 
I will just show up and be like, I just came to be sad with you, you know, like, and that's your St. Simon, like someone that just wants to sit and be sad with you. And um, you're cross with you. Yeah. I love, love that idea. I love that metaphor, if you will, that, you know, I think think we have to be open to allowing someone to help us carry that cross. Right. Yeah. Even Jesus needed it. Yeah. Even Jesus needed it. And, um, you know, just trust that you are the parent for this child that your family was put together before the beginning of time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I always say like, we're team Morton, like, love us or hate us like we're together you know and god put us together for a reason and just trust that you are where you are supposed to be and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy but just ask for the strength ask for five minutes you know yeah. five minutes of time give me five minutes of peace give me five minutes of strength give me I give like me the that. you know? oops i'm sorry that's okay <laughs> absolutely i I totally agree with that. And if we have people who would like to get in touch with you and learn more about your story or work with you to start running a tight ship, (laughs) what is the best place for them to reach you? Well, I think um, I'm most active on Facebook. So there's a tight ship group on Facebook and that's where I post my videos or you can go directly to YouTube and again, tight ship mama and Instagram is at tight ship mama as well. Okay, and we will also have all of Gina's information in the show notes for everyone as well. Gina, I want to thank you so, so much for being here. I just admire you and I love your energy and I wish you so much success um, with your hospital and with everything that you're doing in life. Thank you. You too, Kelly. This is a great, great platform. You're going to be awesome. Aww. From your lips to God's ears, my friend. (laughs) All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for choosing to share your time with us today. Remember, you can find information on how to connect with our guests in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you want to stay in touch between episodes, find us on Instagram at the moment she knew underscore podcast and on Facebook, the moment she knew. Please join us again next week for another episode. And until then, be safe, well, and happy. Bye for now.